Well, let's turn again. God's word open in John chapter 9. from verse 13 through the end but we will stay uh, with the verses 35 to 41 but it's good to see the whole picture John 9 verse 13 they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received the sight. He said to them, they, He put clay on my eyes, I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had, had received his sight. And he asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said again to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard that 
of anyone open the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us, and they cast them out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to, do, to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said for judgment, I've come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be may me made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard his words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Let us briefly pray. Dear God, Father in heaven, help us to open up your word. Father, we need your spirit in understanding your word. And Father, we need your spirit in um, being renewed in our hearts. So we pray, Father, open our eyes, our ears and our hearts for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we, we saw that Jesus uh, healed this blind-born man. But then in between, it's good to know, this man is brought to the Pharisees. The neighbors, they didn't know what to do with this man. And they brought him to the Pharisees. And probably they know the answer to this a miracle. Probably they could give an answer to their question, what has happened to this man? And when they asked the neighbors and they asked the man himself, and even they asked his parents, they don't believe him. And he still saying, um, I was him who was blind and I can see now. And then things grow more and more dim because in the end we read that they cast him out they don't believe him and they they say well this can't be true this can't this this man can't be christ this can't be a man sent from god and their anger is so fierce that they threw him out of the synagogue and it's good to know that being thrown out of the synagogue is not just, okay, we close the door of the synagogue. But it's much more than that. It means, in the end, to be cut off more or less from Israel. It means that you're, you're not able to hire someone or you can hire yourself to someone. Um, restrictions in, in buying and selling restriction in having communication with other Israelites. So more or less, he was cast out from his people. More or less, he was cast out from everything that he had. 
With this in mind, we turn to our text, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And the news of this casting out was like a spreading fire. Everyone was talking about this because if someone was cast out of the synagogue, it was something terrible. People were speaking about this. And it brought deep fear. And therefore, the, the, the parents, his parents, they did not want to speak about Christ because they feared to be cast out. They feared to be cast out of the people. But people were talking about it. And if we look to this man, the blind-born man, he received sight, but we see him as a man, as a man in need. He had defended Jesus. He kept his witness about him with an astonishing result. He was cut off from Israel, cut off from everything that he had. And in this, we see an immediate kind of application to us. that When we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, when we stand for the name of Christ, there will be more or less persecution in this world. There will be resistance when we stand for Jesus. There will be resistance when we profess our faith. I would say read church history. Read all the history and you will see that every time when people stand up, profess the faith in Christ, there will be resistance. But also they have the strength to bear the cross. And then we see Jesus. He had heard that the man, the blind man, was cast out of the synagogue. And Jesus started searching for this man. We read that Jesus had heard that they cast him out. And it says, when he had found him. In other words, Jesus was searching for this man. And Jesus doesn't let sinners who are seeking for him wander in the darkness. But he goes out. Christ is going out to search for the lost. Christ is going out for those who are outcasted by this world. Christ is searching for sinners. He's searching for lost sinners. For those who are outcast by this world. And brothers and sisters, this is a, a great comfort for your soul. To know that Christ is looking to those who are outcast by this world. It is as a Dutch hymn writer wrote, His love sought me tenderly. He searched me again and again. But also we find this in Psalm 27. When David writes, When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You know, it's like a mother who lost her child. And she feels the unbearable need to search for her child. And she goes all out on the streets asking, did you see my child? She's going knocking on the doors, did you see my child? And she will not stop until she finds her child. And then suddenly... She sees her child there standing, crying, and she picks it up and embraces it. 
and tears will flow, tears of joy. And this way is the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, searching for lost sinners, souls who are in darkness. He's looking for them, those who are despised by the world, but those who hold fast the testimony of him. And when he found him, you see, he will find. It is not the case that Jesus Christ will go out and not find those sinners who are searching for him. Maybe you can feel yourself um, in such a position. You feel yourself maybe alone. And even family said to you, well, we turn away from you. And I, I've seen also in our situation, sometimes people are cast out because they trust in Christ. But he's there. He's there. In that sense, you're never alone. He is there. Christ is there. He's the one who is searching. You see the men not allowed to have close relationships, not allowed to work for them. But as soon as someone suffers for his name, he's ready to bring comfort and encouragement. In the most loneliest moments, it is the beloved one who goes out to search. His eyes are going over the whole world to seek those, to seek those who are outcast, cast out by men, but sought by the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, Behold, I am with you to the end of the world. When he had found him, he said to him, This question, Do you believe in the Son of God? Or some translation says, Our Son of Man. And this is not a question, Do you believe that the Son of God exists? But this is a question of trust in Jesus. The question is, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And Jesus was not searching for just the correct answer, yes or no. He was searching for more than I believe that he exists. <coughs> in other words, Christ was asking him, do you trust in me? Do you trust in the Son of God? Do you trust to put your life in, in my hands? Do you trust to put everything you have in me? Do you want to depend on me? Do you want your soul to lean upon me as the Son of God and the Son of Man? But also we see in this question what Jesus is asking, also we see the need of public confession. Because faith is not something which is only uh, stays in our inner room or in our hearts, but it has also to come to the outside. As we read in our text, there, will, there were multiple Pharisees, witnesses. And, and that fact, this question is not only for the blind man. Jesus asked it to the blind man. But this question came also to the ears of those Pharisees. 
And this question comes to all who hear him. They all had to answer this question. Do you believe in the Son of God? And this is the question which is coming to us all. To you, young men, young ladies, older men. Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you trust him for all? Do you trust your life in his hands? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? He is from eternity into eternity. That he is the one who is given by the Father to come down to become a man. To live a life perfectly without sin. One who is hung on the cross to bear the sin and the wrath of God. And that in his death and in his resurrection... There's life. Those who believe in him and faith, that they were crucified with him and resurrected with him. So we all have to answer this question. Do you believe in the Son of God? And fathers, this is the question we must ask to our children. My son, do you believe in the Son of God? My daughter, my beloved one, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you trust Him? And maybe it brings forward the question, which faith is needed to be saved? Is it enough, like this man who professed, I believe that Jesus is a prophet? Is it enough to say, well, I believe that God exists? Or is it enough to say, I believe that Jesus lived indeed 2,000 years ago? So if we, were, if we would be able, and at the time of Jesus, there would be a camera who could film the, the life of Jesus, and we were able to, uh, to see him on the screen, and to see him doing the miracles, to, to see this healing happening, uh, to see that he died on the cross, and we would be able to play this and to say, well, okay, on base of this material, I must say, well, he did live. Yes, and I believe that he died. And according to this video. But is that enough to be saved? Is this biblical faith? Is that biblical saving faith to just know that he had lived? There were many at the time who saw him. There were many who had seen him dying on that cross. Thousands of people have, had seen him while breaking the bread, spreading the bread. But this is what we call historical faith. But historical faith is no saving faith. When Paul stood for Agrippa in Acts 26, he asked this question, O King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And he said, well, oh, I believe, I know you do. But that's not saving faith. It was not enough for this man to confess, I believe he's a prophet. But the question had to be asked, do you believe, do you trust in the Son of God as your Savior? That he is the one who is sent from God 
as the Savior. And there's no question, are you Reformed? Are you Baptist? Are you Calvinistic? But do you trust Jesus Christ as the only way for forgiveness of sin? Do you believe that he, he is the only begotten Son of God? And that his death and his resurrection is the only way to life, to be justified before God. And the other day I was reading Spurgeon and he said, sometimes we come across people who are saying, well, I can't believe. And he said, what? Wait, you can't believe the truth? Don't tell me lies. Something is the truth. And who dares to say that he can't believe that? And what is the answer of this blind man? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And we see in this answer of this blind man that he recognized that he by himself was blind. Show me, Jesus. Show me the Son of God in order that I may believe in him. Who is he? Please open my eyes for him in order that I may see, in order that I may believe in him. Show me the Son. No, this is my longing that everyone will have this longing. Lord, open my eyes that I may see and behold this King of kings, Lord of lords. Who is he? That we will cry out, show me Christ, in order that I can believe in him, that I can trust in him. And his natural, natural eyes were opened, but we see that his spiritual eyes still were closed. And how did he long to see him? How he longed to be able to trust in Jesus. Show me him. Show me this Jesus. And Jesus said to him, verse 37, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. From that moment on, not only his physical eyes were open, but also his spiritual eyes, they behold Christ. He saw him. He saw Christ in all its glory and his majesty. And he recognized suddenly this is the voice of the sweet Savior. This is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw him and he believed in him. And this is what is happening when the Holy Spirit opens our, our spiritual eyes. When he brings our heart from deadness into life. When he is placing us from darkness into his light. And only from that moment you will recognize the sweet voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, the content of your Bible will be uh, renewed in that sense. When you read it, you will see this is the truth. This is the true and living Word of God. And things on this world will have another glance. Things in this world had maybe previously a kind of glance, but it seems to lose its beauty. Things who were so precious before this time in your life... They seem not so precious anymore. Things you protected maybe before were so important for you, but now they seem not to be important that way. But the spiritual eye 
is drawn to that strange attraction of the cross of Jesus Christ. The strange attraction to the cross of Christ. And there on the cross, you can see that man dying. For the world, it is, the world is saying, well, what do we have to do with this cross? But someone whose eyes are opened will look to this cross and will see the Savior, Jesus Christ. Hearing him, the word saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The moment that the wrath of God was poured upon him. You know, when our eyes are spiritually opened, these words will echoing in our souls. They will reflect in our souls and we, we can see that these words he cried out were before, because of my sins, because of my guilt. And we will see in Christ that one treasure, that one treasure, Jesus Christ. We can go out and travel to several places. Yesterday we did go out and we, we had such a good view from, from the mountains. It was astonishing. We can go to the Niagara waterfalls and we can have this beautiful view, breathtaking. But if we compare it to one view on Christ... One view on Christ is so much more glorious. So much more glorious. Nothing to compare with him. There's nothing to compare with Jesus Christ. Oh, brother and sister, how blessed are you if your eyes are open to behold him in all its glory. Hear his voice. It is he who says, it is I who speak to you. It is I who speak to you. And today, through the declaration of the gospel, he is still speaking. His voice is alive. His light is shining. The gospel is going out today. And the light is shining in the darkness. Oh, let us look into the response of this blind boy man we will see that the right response to this light, it manifests itself in words and in deeds. Look with me to verse 38. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. In the first place, we see the confession. These words spoken with intense joy. He had confessed that he was blind, but Jesus opened his eyes and he could see Christ. No longer he said, I believe he is a prophet. But he said, I believe he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I believe. May I ask you, when did you speak those words for the last time? Maybe in the midst of other believers. I hear that there is next week a baptismal. So joyous to have young men being baptized. It is a great joy. And to hear the confession and to hear uh, the public confession of the faith. But sometimes I see people in church, they confessed once 
and it seems like they are silently disappearing in the crowd, not speaking any longer about the confession, not longer speaking about Christ. But we could probably deduce from the used form of the verb here that there was a kind of repetition in the words, I believe. And the confession of faith is not a one-time event. Confession of faith is not something that we do and then, okay, this is past, and now we can go on with other things. Now these words must echo. I believe. Lord, I believe. And a true confession of faith will grow. It will grow through the years. The longer we walk with Christ, the stronger our confession will be that he is our helper. The longer you walk with Christ, the deeper the roots of faith will grow. The more stable you will be as Christian. And I would say go to someone whose life almost near the end, who walked his life with Christ and ask him about his faith. You will hear that it has been grown over the years. But secondly, we see also that this confession uh, brings into movement. And there's not such a thing as passive faith. Yes, we received it. We receive faith from God. God gives us the faith. In that sense, it's passive. But the nature of faith itself is alive. It brings us in movement. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. After his confession, he worshipped Jesus Christ. He fell on his knees and bowed his knees before Christ. But in this we see also that he was turned away from the Jewish um, system. And he recognized Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's like Psalm 2, kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And how can we kiss the sun? We can't go up to heaven to kiss him. But he did come down to be able to be kissed. Kiss the sun. No one can go up to heaven but he it come down from heaven to earth. Do you know this close relationship with him? Did you kiss the Son of God? You know him in your heart, in your life? Charles Wesley wrote this hymn. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to hurt came down, fixing us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure and bounded, love thou heart. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Maybe you are in the same kind of position as this blind man. You know, I need. I need Jesus. But you don't have full sight on him. 
It is him today, in his word, asking, do you believe in the Son of God? And if you don't know him, ask him, show me Christ. Show me Christ in order that I may believe. And Jesus said in verse 39, for judgment I have come into this world. And maybe when we read this word, you think, wait, how does this fit with the words of John 3, 17? Because there we read, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And maybe you ask yourself, is there any contradiction? Does the Bible speak with two voices? Well, we know the Bible never contradicts itself. And both are true. And both are God's word. But the primary goal of Jesus is to bring salvation. To be a mediator between sinful, unworthy men and holy God. His coming to this world means salvation to save sinners. But also the other side, that the Bible warns for those who turned away from him. There is a warning for those who turn away from God. It says, woe to them who die in the stubbornness and rebellious state against God. That Jesus came to give sight to the blind, to those who recognize their own blindness and the condemnation speaks about the distinction between those who recognize him as the son of God and to those who reject him and staying in the darkness there's a separation there's a line a division the bible is clear there are two kind of men one side those who recognize I'm blind. The other side, those who say, I can see by myself. Those who don't need a savior. Those who recognize their blindness, they will flee to Christ. There's only one way. And he who is the light of the world will shine and give them eternal light those who call upon the name of the Lord, crying, O Lord, give me light, I am blind. He will answer that prayer of them. And the blindness will taken away. But others who boast in themselves, who are judging themselves as righteous, those who think that they earn salvation by their own merits and their own work, those who think they can see, they will live in darkness of the sin. And their sin will increase and increase and increase and increase up to that moment. The day of judgment, the day of wrath, and suddenly they will realize that it's over. This brings us at our last thought, our second point. We have two points today. The deceit of a proud and sinful heart. Read with me verse 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard his words and said to him, Are we blind also? And we can, can suggest from the Greek text that the Pharisees were 
surrounding Jesus continually. They didn't leave Jesus alone. They were like bloodhounds, trying to find and to hear some words with Jesus says in order to catch him, in order to kill him, to stop him. And now again they heard the words of Jesus. I came for the blind and I came so that those who see now will be blind. And they, when they hear these words from the lips of Jesus, they cried out, Are we blind also? Is your suggestion that we are blind? And we see that they applied the words of Jesus Christ to themselves. And that's a good thing, but they did not go to Jesus and ask him for help. But instead, turning to Jesus, they became proud. You call us blind? We who know the laws of God? We who study the laws of God? We who give our lives for the temple service? We who are the preachers, how you dare to call us blind? But they were blind, and they trust upon their head knowledge. The Pharisees were blind guides, just as Paul said in Romans 2. They are confident that yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. And so Jesus comes also to conclusion. Verse 41, if you were blind, you will, would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. In other words, Jesus says, if you would be aware of your spiritual blindness, you would open your heart for me and your sin of unbelief would be taken from you. But you feel a self-righteousness. You don't feel the need for my word, and in the proudness of your heart you say, I can see, therefore your sin will remain on you. They didn't want to be healed. They didn't see their own sin. They didn't see their own hardened heart. They didn't see the need of salvation. And this is a picture of us all in our sinful state, in our natural state. This is the proudness of a natural heart. This is the, the way in which everyone from nature thinks. This is full of sin of self-confidence. And self-confidence will lead to self-deception. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How often are our hearts not overestimating ourselves? Because of our sin, uh, we don't take notice of our spiritual state from nature. And blindness and sin elevates ourselves. Much higher than our Creator. It brings an unrealistic self image. And because of our natural sinfulness, we deceive ourselves by admiring ourselves excessively and denying the Word of God. And it silently whispers, 
I am not a sinner. I am a good person. I don't need a savior. My deeds are enough to bring me in heaven. And maybe you are such a person who are still in this kind of situation. You cry out with the Pharisees, I can't see. But it comes forth from sin and corruption of heart. And you know, it prevents a humble attitude. It prevents an attitude of kneeling down before Christ. And may I ask, maybe, is this a description of you? When you hear these words, does it speak about you? Maybe even you can say, I trust in my knowledge of the scripture. I memorized the books of the Bible. I memorized my questions and answers. Or you're trusting in the things of this world. And often when financially all is well, there's no lack of anything. But Jesus makes us aware that we from nature are sinners. And there must be an understanding that we from nature are blind by ourselves. And if you say, I see, I don't need Christ, he's saying, stay in your sin. And if there is no awareness of lostness from your sin, from what do you want to be saved? But when the Holy Spirit makes you aware of, of the sinless, of the sins in your heart, it will make you restless. You know, it makes you uncomfortable in your soul. And this is my prayer for you, that we all may be restless in that sense. And that your heart will fill with a holy discontentment and that it will drive you out to Christ Jesus. That it will bring you to this question, Oh Lord, open my eyes. I'm blind. Show me Jesus. And when we are able to look to him, this brings eternal peace. This is such another peace than this world knows. This is a heavenly peace. Much more valuable than mountains of gold and silver. And yes, the road to this is a contrite, a broken spirit. By being a beggar, crying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And he will listen to them. And he will open their eyes. And he will give them his unlimited blessings and eternal life. Now, do you like this beggar discovered and on your blindness? Christ came in order to open the eyes of the blind. Or, again, are you like one of the Pharisees, still in sin, keeping saying, I'm not blind, I don't need Jesus, I can live my life on my own? Well, or maybe you think, well, later, next year, or when I finish my school, then I will think about these things. Or when I got married, then will things change. Or when you think maybe in the end of my life, I have many years in front of me. Listen, this is a lie of the Satan. 
The word of God says, today, when you hear his voice, repent and believe. Maybe you're weak in faith. Maybe you're weak in faith. Then cry to him, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And he will answer that prayer. And if you flee to him with empty hands, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Nothing more than that. Go to him for salvation. Go to him for salvation. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you. We praise you for your word. We praise you for giving your son, Jesus Christ. Who laid down his life for sinners, for wretched sinners. For those who didn't deserve it. Father, there was nothing beautiful in the world when sin was over it. But still, you came down in love for this world. And still, Christ gave his life in order that those who are believing in him will have eternal life. Father, we praise you for your word. And we ask that this word will Press upon our hearts and press upon our souls that we might flee to him in order that we might live eternal for your glory.